Welcome again. We were in a challenging series. You'll see the, on the screen there where we started here a few weeks ago, Breaking the Chains of Family Baggage. And I want to begin by reading one of the core texts here from Exodus 34 here. And look how it reads. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is Mother's Day. And I debated how we're going to approach this and and uh, realized that this is a day where, I don't know if you know, that this is the number one card-selling weekend of the year with Hallmark. It's a big deal with people uh, giving cards to mom. But here's one of the challenges in this, and even with today, is while some of you have great memories of your mom, some of you, your moms have died, and, and we acknowledge that, and just the loss there that even you're feeling in a day like today. But there's some of you that actually look back at your moms, and it creates a level of pain. The, the realization that there was baggage and that there were scars and wounds that may have come from mom, because this Exodus 34, that doesn't just apply to dads. The reality is that even in the mom's world, there can be generational things and, and, and paths that move toward generation to generation to generation. Uh, you know, I think back in the realization, again, that everybody comes with baggage. We just have to admit that. And I think some of the things that I've said and done with my kids in the past and trying to break some of those chains... But in light of that, I, I got to restart here with a really reminder of a really important truth. It's really good news. If you're following along the outline, I said it this way, the good news, God has never done transforming the hearts and the lives of people. I, I even think of my own life and with my mom. I saw spiritual change taking place the last months of her life where God was not done with her yet. And she, God was changing her really in front of the family's eyes in a number of ways that even applied to this baggage stuff that we're talking about here. But there's another fact here. And I want to put up the second theme verse that we're using for this, this uh, series, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, because it points out a truth that we're also involved in this understanding our baggage. And, and look how it reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, this is our part, also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. This text applies to everyone here today. If you're in middle school, high school, single, married, old, young, it doesn't matter. If you know Christ, you're on a journey, I'm on a journey, that we're looking to get rid of the stuff, the weight, and the sin, but we're looking to Jesus as the source of that help. He needs to help us untangle the stuff and take away the weight in our lives. Uh, Deanna and I 
spent a bunch of time with our family this weekend, and we both had siblings fly in to Minnesota here for her mother's 90th birthday, and I had a wedding on my side. And just those events, we were reminded, and coming back last night, of, of the baggage that's within our families and how some of that even surfaced over the weekend. See, every family has baggage. We can't get away from that. And the suitcase and the stuff in the suitcase is passed down from generation to generation. And why? Sin came into the world, and it happens. And we just have to admit that it goes on and on, and yet the call on us is to try to stop it. But I acknowledge that for some of us even in here, when you think of of the families that we've come from, um, some of you have come from incredibly healthy families. I I think that's true. And some of you from families that are kind of so-so. And there's others here that where you were marinated in environments that were probably toxic, and it left baggage and scars and emotional even limping. So what do we do? I think the temptation is to try to ignore the stuff and sweep it under the rug. But here's where I go, I don't think we can do that. See, God wants something more from us. He wants us to experience himself in the midst of this figuring out our our baggage that we come from. Matter of fact, look at Exodus 34 again. Look at the words here that are embedded here that he wants us to experience. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping that love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. We have a God who wants us to experience the opposite of the effects that sometimes we've gone through in terms of generational sin. So he wants us to know his mercy, to experience it, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins and the sins that have done against us. I think this, he wants to set us free. But being Mother's Day, I have to admit, it's a challenging topic. But let me put up the title of the sermon for today in your notes. I said it this way, Moms and Spiritual Moms, Writing a New Legacy. What does it mean to write a new legacy? Especially if that legacy has been challenged when you think of of mom and grandma and maybe great-grandma even in the past. So what does it mean to begin and go towards something different, something even more profound? We take that which mom, the things that mom gave us that were good, but we look to God to go, God, would you add to it? Would you... Build into it. You write a new chapter even in our lives from a positive way. Now, now here's what else I would say as well. Again, some of you coming from good homes. And I think the temptation is to do this. Man, by the grace of God, I grew up in a home, and and then we think of our, our good past homes. But here's where I would say, if that's you, you need to go farther. You need to go farther. 
And the challenge for you, if you've come from a great home, you need to learn how to articulate and develop the skill to come alongside of other women and other fathers to encourage them to chart a new path. So if you have a great family of origin, the call in your life is to look and how can you use your story to expand the kingdom of God? To help that someone did not experience what you did, but you can help them understand and actually go to a new place. So use your story for the kingdom and become a a father and a mother of influence in somebody else's life. But where do we go? Where do we start with this? A key point here for today, really that's, it's really the heart of today. Writing a new legacy means you understand the past, but you must have a clear vision for a new future. Now, I find in marriage counseling that when they come in, they recognize at times that marriage isn't working well. But I, but I sense often that one of the pieces to it and there's a missing ingredient in their understanding and it's this they don't have actually a clear picture of what a healthy marriage is all about they don't have a vision for what it's supposed to look like now i I find sometimes i find marriages swing to they they you know they they try this and you'll try a new model and it's still the wrong model. But think of that even in terms of generational baggage. People can admit that they come from homes that are, that are difficult, that it hurt them. But do we have a correct vision for what we're actually aiming for when we talk about spiritually healthy families, spiritually healthy moms, spiritually healthy dads? Can we describe the vision and articulate it? You know, an illustration here. We love to hunt up here in northern Minnesota. And if I go to Larry's neighbor and I, and I, I tell him, I get to know him, and I said, you need to shoot a bear. You need to experience shooting a bear. And I tell his neighbor that, find a big gun, go outside, and start looking for an animal that has four legs and fur. And shoot that sucker. (laughs) What are you going to do? What's Larry going to do? Would he not look at his dog running? I don't know if he has a dog. But wouldn't he look as a dog and go, I need to get my dog inside if that's the only definition that I have for a bear? Isn't that true? You know, would you call the cat in because it's got four legs and it's furry? Well, maybe, maybe not. Okay, well, we can decide on that one. I'm not a cat lover, but, but... But you understand the illustration. What are we aiming for? The sin and the weight that entangles our lives, what are we shooting for? Do we have a clear picture and understanding of the things that we need to change in our lives to go in the right direction? Here's where I, what I need to do today. I want to give you four categories. We're going to deal with momhood today. And I want to give you four categories in terms of understanding the past and then look and go, how do you change that and go a new direction, leave a new legacy? Now, men, you're really not out of the, 
you can't just tune out because this applies to you as well. And we're going to be dealing with fathers in, in coming weeks ahead because it's the same thing. What are the things that the father is passing on generationally that needs to get discovered and understood as well? So the goal is to give a new picture here. But we need to understand some of the brokenness in terms of homes that we grow up in. So characteristics of moms who are broken. For your notes, the first one is this. It's a home where there's an angry mother. Now, understand that no child likes it when a parent is angry. And now, I'm not talking about an occasional outburst. That's not what I would define as that. But this is a mom, an angry mom or a dad, we could say angry dad, repeatedly uses anger to close off conversations and to control the family. Anger is used for control that's when it becomes deeply hurtful. Let me give an illustration. I read a blog this week of a mom who wrote about an angry, her angry mother. And this is how it goes. I don't have it on the screen. I was often afraid of my mom. I frequently cried because of the painful words she would sling at me. At night, I would pull up my blankets and stay very quiet until she'd stop yelling at me. When she finally went to sleep, I'd pull out my flashlight and read, and I read until all the words that cut into me would fade, and I'd fall asleep, pouring my heart out to Jesus, asking him to change how things were between us. As I grew up into an adult and I became a mom myself, I struggled to acknowledge that my difficult mom relationship didn't change. I could never meet her expectations well enough, even though I tried to do the best of my ability and to the detriment of my sanity, and I prayed about it my whole life. It's an unspoken taboo to talk about it, but some of us have difficult moms. It's a reality that we find hard to share, but it's true, especially in our Christian culture. We don't want others to misjudge us as unloving or unforgiving daughters. Do you catch the pain in her blog? When anger overshadows everything in the home, kids live on eggshells in a state of high alert. And kids are waiting for the emotional fireworks to go off. And I recognize there's even degrees of this. Some are worse than others. But understand this. Kids grow up in that environment, and all of a sudden they're in the adult world, and they still panic. I've known women and men who panic in the face of their mother's anger. And some of these adults understand they still view themselves as constantly not measuring up to their mom. And oftentimes these people become people pleasers, gearing themselves to please and satisfy others. That's one category. A second one, the controlling mother. See, this type of mom will try to take charge of every aspect of a child's life. And it can move toward a mom where she even tells the child what to see, what to feel, and what to want. You catch that. See, in healthy relationships, control is used to shape the, the general values of our lives and to give structure. And healthy control though, is informed by listening and trying to understand and giving the child respects, respect and the ability to them to begin to make some choices as they grow up. 
But the controlling mom always knows best. And it can be very, very subtle. The mother implies, I know who you are and you don't. And then there's this oh-so-subtle message that says this, I need you to be this, and you fill in the blank. And that's the most important than what, it's more important than what you want. She sees herself as a custodian and, and even a controller of a child's mind. And, and these moms actually can talk about faith. They can give the appearance of spiritual maturity, but they fail to see their controlling nature. And the children of controlling parents actually become distrustful in their own wants and their needs as they grow up. And they have a hard time making decisions and it can fill them with anxiety in terms of having to make choices. And and a child of a controlling mom, you recognize this, often learns to be deceitful, to lie. And they do it to, to, they say what the controlling mom wants, what she wants to hear, just to keep her happy. A third category, the self-absorbed mother. And you could put dad in this category as well because it's a person who's really, it's all about the self. And the mother with these tendencies will really largely be unable to show empathy and compassion, and especially in an important, healthy parent-child relationship. She sees every request for attention for herself. And she views the child then as competition. And and it kind of can go like this. The child tells, Mom, I'm tired. You're tired? Don't talk to me about feeling tired. I've been at at, at work all day, and you don't know what being tired really is about. See, it comes back, and it's about her. See, she sees her children as a reflection of who she is. And oftentimes in this category, moms want their kids to be outstanding in every aspect of their being, to be worthy of her. But here's where it's so confusing for the child, because a child of a self-absorbed mother will be on constant pressure to both be subservient to the mom and perform and shine for the mom. And this mother then craves the attention, the adoration that really it comes from her own feelings of low self-esteem. This deep love, I don't know if you realize that this self-absorption of, of people's lives actually is written about in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to just read it. I don't have it on the screen for you. But Paul is writing to the church, and he's talking about a, peop, a group of people within the church. Okay, Let me read it for you. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 1, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Paul writes, have nothing to do with such people. Do you realize that the majority of those attributes that he talked about there are really a part of the personality of a self-absorbed person? See, the self-absorbed is overly sensitive to the criticism even, and it threatens their self-image when people criticize them. It causes them shame. 
and then it is applied to the children. But there's one last category. There's more, but I chose only these main ones. Emotionally unavailable mother. And this one's challenging because it happens so often the first two years of a child's life in their development. And now there's even degrees of this I recognize because for some that it's really more extreme, they put a label on it. It's called attachment disorder. And it's when the mother and child bonding doesn't occur and there's lots of reasons for it. It could be depression with a mom. It could be drug or alcohol or sickness. Uh, there's lots of reasons for it. But the fact exists that the mother's emotional availability and the bonding can be incredibly difficult for a child to deal with. And, and studies show that a profound absence of it actually affects the physical and the chemical makeup of a child's brain. Now, there's a technical term I came across this week. It's called effective sharing. It's where there's emotional exchanges between a mother and a baby. And what they, when they study it, it because that, that effective sharing actually increases the brain growth and generates crucial brain systems that actually help the child manage their emotions when they get older. And, and it comes into play when children learn and organize and they plan their lives. But children in this home really feel guilty for even feeling happy. And oftentimes they take a weight and a responsibility to make up for mom's absence with even how they treat the rest of the siblings. But let me just give you some characteristics of this. A parent who never says, I love you. Or a parent who is around but never they're just not approachable. And the way that a parent uses their eyes, eye contact. You understand, for a young a baby in the infant stage, there's this bond through the eyes, but if the only time the eyes are used for anger, the attachment is blocked. It's blocked. But a mom can be too busy watching TV not to notice and attach with the kids. Matter of fact, in reading this week, the cell phone is becoming a huge issue in child in, in mom-child bonding. The mom's always on the cell phone, and the eyes are tuned here, and there's little decreasing eye contact with, with the baby. And now, this list is not even exhaustive. Now, again, be careful here as well. i got to point that out. This isn't just about an occasional bad mood for parents and where you come home and you're zoned out. Okay, that, that's not what I'm talking about. This is really a deeper level to that, where the feelings of self-worth, they're not good enough, I don't feel smart enough, I'm not attractive, and a child in this setting, just they don't feel worthwhile in this type of home. See, the family of origin, it's a complex issue. We just got to admit that. And, and you know what? We could go deeper on a Sunday morning, and, and I can't. I really can't. It's one of the reasons why there's a book, uh, Breaking the Cycle, and we're looking to actually do a class here this fall on that. Um, it would be a men's or maybe especially a women's only class on here. But here's where we got to start. How do you move forward? 
And it's this, we've got to have a clear picture of where we're headed. What does God desire? What does our Heavenly Father want for mothers and for fathers in terms of understanding this topic? So how do we write a new legacy? Now, I do have to point out one thing. There's an assumption built in here that I need to point out. It's built on Christ. Uh, it's built on movement toward Jesus. The last series, Journey Toward a Lifetime of Spiritual Maturity, that has to be baked into the process of even understanding our, our, our baggage. The Holy Spirit has to give us the power, has to give us the desire to change. But we must come to grip with our past and have a clear picture for the future, understand it, and a new vision. So let me just talk again, kind of switch and go, how do you, what, what do we aim for? Just some pieces here this morning to finish. I wrote it this way, writing a new legacy instead of anger. Pursue peace and joy. So if you come out of a, a, an environment where there was a lot of anger in the home, you must have a vision to live in a new way that's moving toward intentionally having peace and joy. Now, you could spend, I could spend a whole week on just peace and joy, but a couple thoughts here this morning. Don't confuse joy and happiness. Happiness is the topical, the surface. Joy is an undercurrent of being content and thankful. Joy depends on trusting God when all is not working well in life. Joy and peace... There's a, a rest with it. It releases hope in people's lives. Joy and peace, trust what is good in the eyes of the Father, our Heavenly Father. Listen to Psalm 45, 7. Your love, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Psalm 119.11, your statutes are my heritage forever. This book, they are a joy to my heart. 1 Corinthians 14.3, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. There's that word peace. See, the apostles recognize peace doesn't just happen. You actually got to pursue it. Listen to 1 Peter 3.11. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Romans 12.18. If it possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Folks, that's moms, that's dads, grandparents. It takes some effort on our part to find peace when life is hard. But look at a key verse, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Look at what it reads. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A profound thought that the peace that we can get from God can actually guard our hearts and our minds. Are we purposeful about pursuing peace? 
The next one, though, there for your notes. Instead of control, aim for surrender. See, trying to always be in control, trying to get and keep control is a burden that God did not design for us to have. God knows that life spent consumed with being in control only causes us to move toward being more out of control, fretful. And where does it come from? I think we just have to admit it comes from fear, doesn't it? And when fear raises its head, control grows and it spreads. And understand, then words like this come in, frantic, explosive, nagging, exasperating, anger, anxiousness. And those words in the reflective of our lives actually creates a, a type of makes everybody miserable around us. See, God invites us to surrender the burden of control and to surrender to the one who has control, himself. And surrendering to God is the only way to free oneself from the heart's appetite to be in control. And and we have to admit, it means laying down expectations how it's going to turn out in the end. Expectations in five minutes is supposed to be like this. See, but this means trusting that God sees farther and more deeply into the setting that we don't really understand all the time. And it requires that we trust God and his intentions, believing that he is for us, even when we don't get what we want. I think of the Sermon on the Mount. Why worry about today? Why worry about tomorrow when you got enough stuff going on right today? Doesn't he take care of the birds? See that text today says this: God has the future in His hands, and He knows. Give up control, surrender. And if we don't have a vision of surrender, it's going to rob us of peace and security, of hope, of joy that he wants to give us. Let me go to after another one. Instead of self-absorption, develop a heart of giving and serving. Begin to ask God that he would build into our hearts the ability to give without expecting something back, with no strings involved. And that depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I understand people can give and be still be self-absorbed. They give to get something back. They receive something in return. But to throw off the weight and the sin requires that we move to a place where we're teachable, where we're willing to look in the mirror. James 1 says we're called to look in the mirror and not just shift to the side, but look in it and go, where are we really at? See, the default, understand, without the Holy Spirit, the default is always to turn into self and make even serving about us. But folks, God wants our lives to be bigger than what we want. He wants a new purpose in our lives, not just based on convenience and what's important for me. So we're to ask for a new heart and to have new eyes that we begin to expand the kingdom. As we look around, are we looking up and out and going, God, what do you want to do in me and move me away from my own self-love?
But let me go after the last one. Instead of emotionally unavailable, become a true friend of God and others. Now, it's really an extension of the previous ideas, but walking with Christ is through and through about a relationship with him and the Father. And the more that we develop a bond, a heart-to-heart bond with our Heavenly Father, the more that happens, we can have a heart-to-heart bond with other people where we give and love with no strings attached. But the starting point is to get to know God, not on the basis of what he can give us or how he can fix us. That's the distinction where we, want, we keep going, I'm going to go to you, God, because you can fix it. That's not the beginning point. It's about God becoming our true friend. I came across this passage, and it's really a a profound text. Look at James chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. It says this, You see that his faith, this is Abraham, and his actions were working together, and his faith made complete by what he did. There's the movement in our lives. But 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness. But look at this last phrase. And he was called God's friend. That is an incredible phrase. See, the reality is parents will fail us. Our spouses will fail us. But when faith kicks into gear, And when we have the most incredible friend, that friendship will be life-changing. Life-changing. James writes a little farther in chapter 4, he says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Are we drawing near to God? Are we keeping the distance from him? See, but if there's emotional scars that we come out of a family, as we understand that God is our friend, that the Father is our friend, that Jesus is our friend, you recognize that they accept us even with all our scars. And as a true friend, they can comfort us. They can help identify the changes that we need in our lives. They help us create new paths. The Holy Spirit can give us a picture of a new path. So the question, are we looking at the past and do we have a new vision for the future? Or we move toward? This weekend, again, I was reminded that of my family's baggage and my wife's family's baggage as we went to the birthday party and then we went to a, a wedding um, the word God was not mentioned in the wedding. Both Deanna and I walked out there actually kind of depressed from, from, from that experience. And, and I, was, I was eating supper at a, a table with my sister, older sister, and we were talking, and, and just it, the baggage stuff just started coming up a little bit and thinking back, okay, what would my dad say? What would I say as a father to what was going on in front of me? And, and, and interesting, I asked my sister this. I said, do you ever remember a time where you had spiritual conversations with you, with mom and dad? 
I was thinking about the sermon in the midst of that conversation. And she said, no. See, I go back to the baggage in, in my life is that I never had one spiritual conversation with my father. Not one. And I grew up in a church just like this. My dad went on Wednesday night, on Sunday night, Sunday morning. My sister said, I remember going with with dad the Sunday night. I said, did you ever have any spiritual conversations about what was being taught? And the answer was no. She's 66 years old. You catch, do we look and go, what has impacted us? And it just reminded me again that even the issue of, of having conversations with children play out in baggage. And you know what I suspect? I don't blame my dad because I think if you go back to his mom and his dad, I suspect that he never had one spiritual conversation with his mom and dad either. That's my hunch. Or if it was, there's always one way directed about behaving the right kind of way. And, and you see, and, and I watched as this, this young girl was was reciting vows with no spiritual, nothing in the spiritual world. And I I, I caught myself, actually. I didn't catch it. It was intentional. I was praying while they were reciting the vows. I was was just, God, would you bring something in to stir her heart? I know where she was at four or five years ago. Would you bring something, even if it's hard, into her life that she would, that you would, get a hold of her in some way. Folks, we have baggage. We have to admit it. But do we have a picture of where we need to go? See, that's the question. Do we have a vision to get rid of the old stuff, to throw off the weight, to try to untangle the sin and walk a new direction? That's where we got to go. We're going to keep digging at it we got to quit there. Let's stand and pray.